Have you ever had one of those situations where you can't get your temperature right on your shower? Happens to me all the time. Except now it doesn't happen anymore because I have a new experience in my shower called Groa. It is an intelligent, innovative, stylish, brilliant faucet and showering product design company. And they are their design is impeccable. It's German engineering. They have this cosmopolitan style. It's intuitive performance and sustainability. Grow products feel like they were designed just for you. That's what they feel like for me in my shower. You can turn up your experience with the Grow a Smart Control. It's the latest in shower customization technology. The Smart Control lets you manage up to three bath and shower functions with one seamless control. It's a really fantastic. You have to check this out online. Go to growa.us slash hive to learn more. You can declutter your shower. You can elevate your shower experience at the same time. They're fully personalized and shower experiences with preset temperature and volume controls of their smart control experience. It's really, really changes how you will take a shower. It looks stunning in your bathroom. Once again, go to growa.us slash hive. Check out the Growa smart control. It's beautiful, sophisticated, and you will want one for your bathroom. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So today's show was recorded before the hearings. I had Emily Jane Fox on, and she had just written a fascinating and sad and terrifying story for Vanity Fair about the alumni of the school that Dr. Christine Blasey Ford went to. Um, And she interviewed all of these people that went there who had been through their own sexual assault experiences. It's hard to read, it's hard to listen to, uh, but it's really important. And today I listened and watched these hearings and it was so sad and frustrating to watch. It was very clear to me and to a lot of people and even to Republicans that uh, Christine Ford was being 1000% honest in what she was saying. And what was so infuriating was to watch people like Lindsey Graham who had no regard or no empathy for her and instead were furiated that someone would accuse a Republican judge of the things that Judge Kavanaugh has been accused of. It was incredibly frustrating to watch. Uh, We're not going to talk about it this week because we recorded yesterday, uh, but stick around after the show. I'm going to talk to John Kelly about what happened at Instagram this week. We're going to talk to Emily now about her story, and uh, and next week we'll get to, to some of the things that happened today. Welcome to Inside the Hive, and I am your host, Nick Bilton. Yay! How's it going? It's going. I feel like I'm so happy to do this in person. I know. We always do this remotely, but we are here. Who are you? Why are you here? And I think you are... I think we should just change the name of the show from... From Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton and Emily Jane Fox, right? It feels right? like it's a little bit of a tongue twister, a little bit long to me. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm so happy to be back. My, my name is Emily Jane Fox. I'm a reporter here at Vanity Fair with Nick. And you've so kindly had me back on your well, podcast. Well, people, people love you because you know what the hell is going on. And of all weeks, I do feel like this has been the craziest week we've probably had in the history of the Trump administration um, not only did Donald Trump get laughed at at the UN, although Fox News edited that out, and we had uh, this crazy Kavanaugh stuff. Uh, we have Rod Rodenstein. We have anything I'm missing here that's just uh, total mayhem, chaos. Oh, the government could shut down. The government could shut down. Um, 
anyway, let's let's get to it. So uh, we're recording this midweek. The literally by the time we 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 stop, this could be Trump could have resigned. Mike Pence could have decided he wants to be an astronaut when he grows up. So these are like best case scenarios. best case scenarios. <laughs> But so you published a story this week um, about people who uh, went to Halton Arms alumni um, and just kind of what it was like at that school. Can you kind of give us a little context? Tell us about this and the, the women that you spoke to. Sure. So Halton Arms is a private all-girls school in Bethesda outside of D.C. It is the school where Christine Blasey Ford, who is the woman who has accused uh, Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault when they were in high school. It's where she went to high school. And I stumbled across the story because I was interested in what the reaction among this community of women is. I, I, it's a very small school, 65 girls in a class. Uh, it is a very elite private school filled with people whose parents have a lot of money, uh, proximity to a lot of power, and so they themselves become powerful women. And so I thought that there must be chatter in this community afterwards. And it's a little bit of a conservative community, and so I, I wasn't sure what the chatter would be. So I spoke to, I started with one woman, and she said, she was explaining how all these women had rallied around and signed an open letter. and An uh, open letter for... An open letter in support of Ford, saying... We believe her. We think that there should be an independent investigation, and it rings true with a lot of our experiences. So what this one alum told me was what she found interesting and what I found interesting was that there were a number of women who started posting in their private Facebook group, which is about 1,800 people, that they had been sexually assaulted in high school and that they had never told anybody. And the purpose of them saying this in this group was twofold. It was one to say, like, we're here for you, we support you. And two, believe her, because we didn't tell anybody either. And so the, the, there were many people at the time and still to today who were saying, well, why didn't she come forward? If, she, if this really happened, why didn't they? Why didn't she tell her parents? Why didn't she tell the police? Why didn't she confront him? And so their own stories and sharing them and explaining why they didn't share their stories at the time was a way to support their classmate. So uh, what ended up happening was that I was connected to seven women who told me their stories of sexual assault when they were student at Hol- students at Holton Arms. And uh, I have to tell you, I believe all of these women's stories. They sounded remarkably like Dr. Ford's stories. And they, most of them had never told anybody before they told me, or they told people last week. There was one woman who's been married for 19 years and didn't tell her husband until last week. Wow. Okay, so two questions here. One is, is is this something that was endemic just to this period of time and it wasn't just at these kind of these schools that were fancy with fancy people? Um, or is this something that happened in, you know, in lower income schools and so on and so forth? That's the, the first part of this question. And the second part is what what's so fascinating about your article and about the women that have come out is for them, they're they're capable of putting aside um, their political viewpoints, their social ideologies um, in support of someone who's been through the same thing that they have. And yet you still have these white male politicians that are standing 
in the way. And, and it's, it's just – it kind of boggles my mind that society is okay with people like Lindsey Graham uh, trying to push this all aside because he doesn't believe it. Um, and it's all pol- politics. And I, kind of – let's talk about those two things first. So let's, let's go back to the, the question of – I don't, I don't, to the first part, I don't think it was that time or that school because it's happening now and it's Mm -hmm. happening everywhere. I think one in five women have experienced sexual assault and that, that's just, I think that that number is low. I I don't know a single woman who has not experienced something that is over the line that has made them feel uncomfortable that ranges from something that makes them feel uncomfortable to rape. And, uh, I just, I don't think it, so it wasn't time specific and it wasn't place specific, but I will say the way I understand their experiences is very unique and in part because they were all single sex schools. And I think a lot of time when you have all boys schools, particularly all boys schools where not only are the boys privileged, but their parents are very powerful. um, Boys rarely have a chance then to see girls as human beings. As one alum was explaining to me today, like you don't have a female lab partner. You don't have to see these girls the next day in school answering questions in math class. The way that you are socialized with other girls in this small community is on Friday and Saturday nights when you're all blackout drunk, drinking hard alcohol for the first time. And so your concept of who a woman is and what she is to you in this environment is is not real. And couple that with the fact that there was a lot of heavy drinking and partying going on. These are people who had the money to buy alcohol, whose parents were socializing or traveling or at various other homes of theirs. So they were were not around. Uh, the houses were big and cavernous and had swimming pools and movie theaters and were set back from the road. And so it was kind of a perfect storm. Uh, and the whole environment lended itself really well to being this toxic, predatory grounds for women. And in some ways it has changed. Some of the parents of current Holton girls have told me that the girls are up in arms about this, that they are looking for ways to go to the hearings tomorrow, that they wanted to sign their own open letters in support of Ford. But in some ways they haven't changed. Another uh, set of, of current parents told me that there were boys from the prep schools posting memes online. Holton's motto is find a way or make one. And there was one meme going around that was find a way or make one up. Hmm. And when I heard that, I thought, you know, in so many ways, this culture is different, that girls have the language finally to describe what sexual assault is. And they know that rape is not just some scary man in an alley pulling them into a van or, or putting a drug in their drink, that rape can be them being too drunk and a guy not listening when they say no. And it could be a guy that they know. And it could be a situation where consent is a gray area. Um, they, they have the language to understand that that is wrong and the ability to talk to people about it. But there's still so much more way to go and that, that these women who have been holding on to these stories for decades still did not want to attach their names to it because they were ashamed of what happened to them. They were fearful of what could happen to them if they put their names. We just have so much more work to do. And and the more we talk about this kind of stuff, hopefully the more people talk. Well, so one of the things that's so interesting is is when you look at the Me Too movement, um, which is what, a, not over a little over a year old. I mean, it is, it's, it's not a... It isn't like, you know, mothers against drunk driving or people against the NRA. It's not something that's been going Dare. on for decades. Yeah. yeah. It's it's quick, it's fast, it happened. And it has plowed through men that have gotten away with 
things that are just astounding for so long and the most powerful men in in their industries and yet it goes up to the white house and opens the door and lets donald trump in and it's like it it do you think that that it will be able to to ensure that someone doesn't get onto the supreme court who has a potentially has a history of this or that it will eventually catch up to trump or people in the white house or is it does the is it is it just not powerful enough yet to to do that? I don't think it will ever catch up to Donald Trump. Never. I, if history is is an indication, and it often is, it hasn't. No, people already made up their value judgment on him. People knew what he did, what he was alleged of doing, that there were, what, 16 women who came forward saying that they had been sexually assaulted by him, that he was caught on tape boasting about grabbing women by the genitals and saying that he could get away with it because he was famous. And they knew that. They accepted it and voted for him anyway. And so I think when it ta- when you, when it comes to just the president, I don't think this will impact him. Look, he doesn't really care about Kavanaugh. He doesn't. He could have picked anyone from that list and so it would why, have been the same But why Kavanaugh? There were people in the White House who were pushing for him. There were people who were mega donors who were pushing for Kavanaugh. Now, I still think, I know this may be cynical, but I think Kavanaugh is going to get confirmed. I think that they're going to push him through. But I do think that what we have seen is, while the president may be immune to some of this backlash, there are lawmakers who are not going to be immune to this. And if they do push this through, what I think you're going to see in November is what happened when Anita Hill was pushed through um, 20-something years ago, where there was this wave of the woman, right? We have already watched that happening in the primaries over the last couple of months, over the last um, six months or so, where uh, women were winning elections that they should not have won if you listen to the polls. And so there are a lot of female candidates running in November. There are a lot of... I think it's more in history that have ever run before. Exactly. And so that is where you're going to see this catch up with the president. Will the president himself ever be implicated or, or taken down or held responsible for his own actions, which I think a lot of people want to see? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't see that happening. But if the house flips... Who Who knows? Who so you so you do believe that Kavanaugh is going to make it? I, I like I don't want to say this because what's going to happen is probably going to unfold in the next twenty hours, and by the time this podcast comes out, it's going to be <laughs> irrelevant, and I don't like being wrong. Yeah. Um. So I'm just going to say it would not shock me if that happened. I have to say we have been covering this orbit in various forms for what th- three years now, more than three years since he started running for office. There have been a lot of things that are upsetting, that are distasteful, that feel distinctly un-American or against our values or principles. But I have to say this week has been the hardest for me as a reporter. Because of just the fact that it doesn't seem like the reporting is going to have an impact or? There's a difference between being partisan and having your own set of values and disagreeing with people. And then there's a difference between right and wrong. And... What feels like is happening right now is wrong. Correct. That there should, at the very least, be an investigation into what happened. There's, I cannot think of a single argument that is not cravenly political for why this isn't wrong. So I completely 1,000% agree with you. I think that what's, what's so frustrating 
seeing the response from some of the right-wing media outlets and some of the more outspoken people on the right and, of course, the Republican, you know, white men that help run this country um, or try to run this country in the way they see they think it should be is that they see it. They say, oh, it's just the Democrats. It's just and, – and it – and I think what is lost in that argument is um, if if you know, look push through a conservative candidate, and we can all be upset if we don't agree with that person, and we can be bummed out. That's and how the system works. That's, that's yeah, constitutional. But this, but from the everything I've read from from Kavanaugh's own you know speeches that he's given years ago that are now coming back to haunt him, uh, to his own yearbook, which is is disgusting on more levels than I can actually think about. He just doesn't seem like a good guy. And it, it seems just from the Fox interview this week that he's full of shit, honestly. Um, and uh, and I think that that's what's so frustrating, right? Yes, but even if you reserve your judgments about him, right? Even if you put all of this aside, even if you don't believe any of the women, which people should believe women, but yes. even if you don't, and even if you think this guy is the greatest thing since sliced bread... If he's innocent, shouldn't he want an investigation into his behavior? If I did something wrong and someone was accusing me of doing something horrible, first of all, my f- even if I wasn't wrong, my f- my first inclination, I was just talking to one of the alums who came forward with her story to me today, and we were we were talking about this. Even if you did, even if you didn't do something wrong, but someone believed you you had, I would feel awful that someone believed I had done something wrong, and my first inclination would be to apologize that they had felt that way for so long. So the fact that he has not even said, I'm so sorry this happened to this woman, maybe it wasn't me, maybe things are confused, but I'm so sorry that she's had to live with this for so long. So that's A. But B, wouldn't he just want to clear your name? I would just be like, investigate every inch of my life if you think I did something wrong. Clear my name. Don't try and ram this through and make me look like a criminal if I'm not a criminal. Yeah, no, completely. Only guilty people don't want to be investigated, <laughs> right? Well, no, and it's true, and it's it 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 is. Um, uh, it, it, you could you can always look at these. You know, it's funny we live in this era where true crime stories are the you know the yeah. thing, the podcast, the documentaries, the the TV shows, and this that and the other. And there's always this consistency with the people that you can just tell or or have been proven guilty that they they don't say like I, who do you think did it or they, there's never it's like the obvious question if I was if I was being accused of something was like wait I didn't do it, but let's figure out who did it to yeah, prove that obviously, I didn't do it obviously this poor woman like she obviously went through something let's figure out who did it. it wasn't me so let's figure out who did it that's not the response here and if that is his response which it didn't seem to be from his Fox News interview but if that is his response and he's been in some way by the white house or by the republican establishment forced into ramming this through anyway then this guy is no spine then this guy should have if that's really what he wanted but he hasn't been able to because the establishment wants him to to go through anyway then this guy shouldn't his judgment should be in question for that okay so let's just say that you're wrong and he doesn't get pushed through sure right just for argument's sake and fingers crossed here and all those things is there a world well first of all before i get to this question how that there are a handful of women who have the power to stop him from getting through less than a handful um don't you think that they will stand up to this and say i want i can identify with what this person's been through no maybe? i'm going to push you a little bit on this okay why does it have to be the woman well because i think that i think genuinely 
the the GOP, the men in the GOP are diabolical human beings. I truly well, think that they are, they, and I think that they that's have. That's not they an have, excuse. Then no, so, I'm not so saying it I falls think on a be, woman no, but, to then be the the antidote to these <laughs> diabolical men. No, I think that no, I think that if they were. If the GOP, if the Republicans were actual real human beings that really cared about the country, they would be calling for the 25th Amendment or they would be standing up to Trump or they whatever they were doing, but they don't. And look, Mike Pence, of all people, I think is the worst of them all, that he goes around talking about how, how Donald Trump is Jesus Christ reincarnate. Like, I wonder what Mother thinks what, of this. But yeah, I mean – if you really truly believe in in Christ and the church and this you would be standing up to this. And the reason I say will it be can it be the women is because I feel like these men are incapable of it. Well, which look, is, you saw Kellyanne Conway uh, yeah, even completely. say this should be looked at and she should she deserves to be heard. Uh she I believe she was the only one in the well, I guess the president at first was saying that too. So I'm going to give him his due here. Until he went, until he until went, he went off, off the res- yeah. reservation and exactly. went Yes, uh, I think that that was a result of him being laughed at at the UN. That yeah. he just felt like so deeply wounded Good. that he had to somehow assert his masculinity. So do I think that these women <laughs> are going to stand up? I have no faith in anyone in Washington right now. Democrats are... Or Republicans, and so to sit here and tell you that I think these women are going to suddenly have a crisis of content, like these women, none of those people are doing these things based on what they believe is right. If they think that it will be politically expedient to them, they will do it, and so they have to make that calculation. And that is that is what has been so sad to me over the last week that all of these things are not based on what everyone knows is right and what everyone knows is wrong. It's what's politically expedient, and this is politics. These this for. 200 something years since this country has been founded things have been political i do not think that the politicization of a what happened to a 16 year old girl something that stuck with her her entire life is is an up or down vote like that anyone who's ever had a, a human interaction knows that someone who is suffering and has suffered for a long time and has come forward and put everything on the line in order to do that because they think that something is wrong and that something should be done about it, at the very least looked into. How are you going to make a political choice about that? Well, that and that's what's that's what is so frustrating. It's sick. It is sick. It has made me feel physically ill all week. It's, this is how I felt during the – I mean, I feel the same way, but this is how I felt during the uh, immigration uh, when sure. they were separating children. And I think uh, – you're a parent. Yeah. That strikes a nerve with you. I don't have kids yet. Um, I'm a woman who has experienced things and who has friends who have experienced things and family members and uh, have grew up in a suburban enclave of a city that was um, – it's it's a comfortable community and, and there are parties like this. And so I it strikes a nerve with me. And Completely. And this has to change. And I do think – I actually do think that – it will. I think that, you know, we just mentioned D.A.R.E. and these other movements, and I think that the Me Too movement is it's just the beginning in many respects. I think that, you know, what we've seen is is the titans of industry, uh, but not necessarily the janitors and the low-level employees at companies um, whose voices haven't yet been heard. Um, and I think that 
you know, you have more women running for office now than ever. You have some men who I think are genuinely good people. Uh, I will say there's one man in my story. There's there's one woman who was uh, sexually assaulted with two other guys there. And one of the guys at the time uh, stood up to the boy who was sexually assaulting the girl. And he said, knock it off, knock it off, leave. And so they left and he stayed with the girl. And the woman, now woman, uh, said to me that she was thinking about the story last week and she contacted the guy. And I actually talked to the guy yesterday. And he said, I was, I was a little surprised at the time that this was happening, but I wasn't shocked entirely because this was the culture, but I would never not do the right thing. Like, even though that was the culture, even though these guys were my friends, it didn't even occur to me to not say, knock it off and to stop doing that. And so there are good people. They're just not in office right now and and they need to be. And we need to start electing people, not based on if we want to have a beer with them, but on if they're good human beings, not if they're going to cut our taxes or raise our taxes or whatever it is that they're promising, I think we need to do a gut check here and we need to say, are these people, do these people have my values? Do these people think that all people should be treated equally, regardless of if they're a man or a woman or black or white or Hispanic? And I think that that's where we need to go in this country. And until people feel like their representatives will listen to them, that their parents will listen to them, that their principals will listen to them and not say, well, why were you drunk? Why are you in a room alone with a boy? Then nothing's going to change. Amen to that. I totally agree with you on that 1,000 million billion percent. Um, I think you only have a few more minutes before you have another interview that's coming up. Emily, you are in hot demand here. Um, uh, Let's get back to that last question of if by some grace of God, Kavanaugh is not um, pushed through – and if by some larger grace of God, the Democrats win in the midterms, which is not far away, it's a uh, month than and, six weeks. Yeah, month and a half. Um, is there a world in which the uh, there is no Supreme Court justice that is pushed through because they have to scramble to get someone, they have to do the hearings, go yeah. through the paperwork? And so is this it? Like it's do or die for them and uh, – it could be. I mean, they would have to flip the Senate, too, because this is a Senate-confirmed position. So uh, I think that it's a longer shot. There's a possibility that the Democrats could take the House, but not the Senate, and then President Trump could nominate someone with a new House class and a Senate uh, would confirm another conservative judge. But the issue here is, again— yeah. The nation elected a Republican president and two Supreme Court justices in his first two years in office stepped down. So it is his right. It is This is how the Constitution works. Well, that was how the Constitution worked with Obama. But well, it's it's how the Constitution's meant to work, right? It's, it's, it it's should have. It's yes. how it's meant to work. So you can't, unless you fundamentally disagree with how the Constitution works works and you believe that Merrick Garland shouldn't have been confirmed under Obama and that there should just like never be a nomination process based on our current rules, then the president, whoever it is, has the right to nominate a judge to the Supreme Court and the Senate has the right to confirm them. So whatever, I'm, I'm fine with the president no, nominating someone. No, I'm just, it was just a curiosity of, of what's at stake for them, but I, I, think I think it's... I think what is at stake if they do not confirm Kavanaugh is they will not get someone in there 
before the midterms and what is at stake is perhaps they lose the Senate. And if they lose the Senate, there is no one who's going to be confirmed on President Trump's heritage fund list or whoever came up with that list for him of, of extreme uh, conservatives. Extreme conservatives who who uh, want to do things that most of the country doesn't agree with. Um, all right, Emily, you have to run to another interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. It is going to be a rollicking week, as our, our editor, John Kelly, says uh, this week. Um, stay tuned. Buckle up. Buckle up. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Have you ever gone and picked up one of those breakfast bars and tasted it, and it actually tastes like you're eating cardboard? Well, that is not the case for RX bars. They taste incredible. They have real food ingredients, and they are delicious. They come in gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. You can get them sweet or savory chocolate, fruit flavors. They're just unbelievably defining and delicious. There's no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. I actually have one every single morning, breakfast on the go. They sent me a bunch, and they are I, – I fight with my family over who gets to eat the RX bars. You can throw them in your bag when you're going on a plane. You can toss them in your backpack. They are good for workouts. Not that I work out that much, but one day I will. Come in lots of different flavors, actually 14 to be precise. They come in mango, pineapple, my favorite chocolate hazelnut. Not a big fan of peanut butter, but I actually do like their peanut butter and berries. And the chocolate sea salt is my absolute favorite. Can you tell a a thing here? I like chocolate. They have seasonal flavors too. And now uh, RX Bar has debuted the RX Nut Butter, which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. Each serving is a delicious creamy nut butter with 9 grams of high-quality protein. It's squeezable and spreadable and pairs great with the fruit or brown rice cakes or pretzels or whatever you want. Uh, it's really good stuff. If you actually go uh, to rxbar.com hive and enter the promo code hive, you can actually get 25% off your first order of RX bars. Once again, rxbar.com hive and enter the promo code hive at checkout. It's worth it delicious uh you'll be thanking me on social media it's a great promotion with lots of discounts and once again rxbar.com slash hive enter the promo code hive and you'll get 25 percent off your rx bars welcome back to inside the hive that was um a very sad and depressing conversation but hopefully emily is wrong and kavanaugh doesn't actually get confirmed and hopefully some of the people that have been voted into office actually grow a conscience and do something something good. John? Hi, Nick. Hi. I feel like it's, uh, I feel like I need a drink right now. It's almost five o'clock. Well, it's cl- not, it's, yeah, but let's go, let's, let's, let's do this. So you have some questions for me um, about technology, mm-hmm. uh, a topic I know a little bit about. Shoot, go for it. Well, uh, Nick, I talked to some people familiar with the, um, uh, with the Facebook worldview um, recently, who who did not think that it was um, such a huge surprise that uh, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger left Instagram this week. It, it, it seemed like big news in part because there was this Mike Isaac exclusive in the Times that dropped at night, and I think just the timing of it hit during like peak cable news hours when when degenerate news addicts like me are. are you know, toggling between cable news and their phones. You still um, watch Fox, right? Don't you? I Fox News is a part of my cable news diet. I, I, I'm addicted to the car bad? crash. Don't you feel bad giving them a rating? Well, you know, it's funny. I guess I'm in the demo. 
It's it is it's fascinating to watch. I mean, it it, it is it is uh, other it. other otherworldly. Um, Makes me so angry. It is otherworldly. I'm a, I'm a pretty calm dude, so I can I can handle it without the beta blockers. But so I'm sitting there on my you know lazy boy chair. I get this news, and I think I'm surprised and not surprised because on the one hand, Instagram has become the, the the part of Facebook that everyone actually likes. It's the the non trolly non Trumpy, non Cambridge Analytica, non data um, uh, uh, hawking part of the organization. On the other hand, like Instagram's success in the last couple of years seems to owe significantly to Facebook's infrastructure, right? So how do you make sense of all this? Well, it's really what's very, very interesting is that there's a lot of discussion and the piece that you referenced in the Times that broke the story by by uh, Mike um, is uh, – it's interesting because the, the, the follow-up story – was about whether or not um, it was Instagram is a billion plus user product because of Facebook or if it would have been without Facebook. And as much as I don't want to give Mark Zuckerberg the credit, I actually do agree with Mark Zuckerberg on this one that it would not be what it is today without them. I think that, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and um, – and Kevin Systrom clearly thinks that he's one of the product geniuses of our time, um, and he did build an incredible product. But I remember when uh, when it all came out, when when Instagram first launched, and and it wasn't they didn't invent Instagram; they invented a company called Bourbon, which was about right. documenting your. Yeah, drinks. talk about Bourbon, yeah, because that's a, that is definitely forgotten in the story of Instagram, and it's one of those sort of like ridiculously serendipitous uh, Silicon Valley tales. Well, look, I mean, every company is uh, is an accidental offshoot of a company that that failed uh, within Silicon Valley. For not everyone, but most of them. Twitter, of course, was a failed podcasting company. Right. Um, Odeo or something? Odeo. Uh, and Instagram was a failed, uh, kind of like trying to be a four-square dodgeball kind of thing where you – you were at a bar and you took a picture of your drink and you said what you thought of the bar. And now you're the mayor. Uh, and then you're the mayor. But this is what Tom, this is what Bourbon was, which was uh-huh. what Kevin Systrom created. So what the fascinating part is, so back in the Odeo days before Twitter, uh, when Jack Dorsey was just like the lowest level person at um, at the company, uh, and Evan Williams was running it, and Noah Glass and all these folks. Um, there was an intern that came in from Stanford, and his name was Kevin Systrom. And Kevin p- ended up becoming friendly with Jack Dorsey. He leaves, he goes back to school, and, in, and then comes up with this idea to do this bourbon thing. At this point in time, Jack Dorsey's been fired from Twitter, and he's trying to make a comeback. And Jack ends up investing in bourbon uh, and gets a part of this company. And then bourbon, uh, what happens is people start uh, using this – the service that you're supposed to be designed for drinks, right. uh, and they're using it for the really cool photo filters that they had built. Right. And so they're taking a picture of not a drink, of a sunset or a cappuccino or their dog, applying the photo filter and then saving it to their phone and then tweeting that or posting it on Facebook. Right. And the founders of, um, of of what would become Instagram realized, oh, they're not using the thing we built. They're using part of it. Let's get rid of the stuff they're not using. And right. and that was that was how Instagram was born. What becomes so fascinating is 
Jack Dorsey was one of the people who really kind of put it on the map because he was tweeting about it all the time. He was talking about it all the time. Um, I remember him and Sistrom went to go get tacos one day, and that was how I learned about mm-hmm. it. And they had posted something. It was really, really early on. He was an angel investor. In he was an, I think a- he was an angel or a, a, a low-level investor, okay. but had a significant amount of, of equity in it. Um, but he's incentivized to, to, to publicize his company. He's incentivized, yeah. And he doesn't... Um, doesn't realize what it's going to be, clearly. Um, so fast forward, Dorsey comes back to Twitter. Uh, Instagram's blowing up. Um, you know, millions of users, so all anyone can talk about um, or any, anything anyone talks about. And, um, uh, and Dorsey tries to buy it. Um, uh, Dorsey and DeCoslo at the time, who was running Twitter then. Um, and there's, they get pretty close. And what it turns out is that Kevin Systrom had been using them as kind of a, a way to then go to um, to Mark Zuckerberg and get more money and, mm-hmm. re- and keep the title of CEO. Because if he had have sold to Twitter, he would not have been the CEO anymore. He uh, would have just been, been incorporated as part uh, of Twitter. Yeah, and uh, Zuckerberg, who I think one of his geniuses is that he understands – what makes people want things and how they operate. He knew that Systrom wanted to be CEO. And um, uh, and so when Facebook acquires Instagram, uh, I, you know, I remember Jenna Wortham at the Times wrote this big front page story. It was a big deal. Like it was a billion dollar acquisition. Today in billion dollar acquisition, right. you wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be a blog post. And it was also, it was a 12 person company at that point, right? It was a 12 person, 13, 12, 13 um, person company. Um, you know, a, a, Ironically enough, a lot of the people that worked there got screwed. Uh, 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 System hadn't actually signed some of the paperwork, so they didn't get the stock. Get out of here. Uh, yeah, which is which is wild. I actually know a couple of the people, um, uh, and um, or they didn't get the stock they had been promised. They may have got a little, but but the 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 thing that is so interesting is is Jack Dorsey then becomes. Uh, a major investor in Facebook because he owns the Instagram right. stock and so on. So you have to very quickly sell that. But so Facebook said to Instagram, hey, you guys do your thing. We're going to help you grow by sending traffic your way. And for a long time, Instagram, they didn't change. It hasn't changed. It looks exactly like mm-hmm. it did. You know, the only thing that has changed is that they stole some things from Snapchat. Stories, namely. Stories, namely, which has then has helped increase their growth. And I think that you're now at a point where, fast forward to today, where um, you know the Instagram founders are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more. Um, and for them, there's no financial reason to do what they're doing. And so they get to do it because they get to make decisions that have an impact on people. And I think that... Um, there's a lot of sentiment inside Facebook that they didn't do much. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and so along comes Mark Zuckerberg and says, hey, we're going to take advantage of this. And out they go. Wow. So do you think the the, the feeling was that these were – because they, they've been there for six years after the acquisition, which is a, a long time. Yeah. Most what? people last like two years. They they leave the day or even less. Like I know people that have done have, have had their companies acquired by Google and they sign a two-year deal where you get your stock if you stick around for two years and a year in they stop showing up to meetings and the checks still come. So right. to stick around for six years is a big deal in the tech world. But when I, when I talk to people who are familiar with um, with the, the, the more, you know, Facebook ideology, uh, I have to say it, 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 it makes sense, their point that like, these were guys who did, were not contributing uh, so much at this point, and and the, and the departure um, is reasonable. This is just how life works. But I was struck that um, that you know Zuckerberg was not mentioned in the in the memo. Um, 
do you think there was some intentional decision to try and throw a little shade on uh, on Facebook by uh, Sistrom and, and Clear? To, I mean, I think there absolutely was when Kevin Systrom put out a, a – and it was weird the whole the way the whole thing came about. Um, uh, you know, it's very clear that – you and I know this. We work in this industry that, you, you know, the story was given to the Times. Oh, yeah, sure, um, sure. Uh, you know, it, it was very clear that – And a journal – Wall Street Journal magazine had done a very different story that was going to run later. So that yeah, it suggests it's, this, was, this all happened It was all fast. planned and like, yeah. And – and um, and, uh, um and I, you know, I think that the, that it's interesting because the statement that then was put out, it was, um, it was a, it was definitely, and you know, I mean, I think even the way that the the story, the first story broke, it was not a, it was very fair to everyone, um, but it was also, uh, it, as it started to unfold, it was clear that um, Systrom had a problem with Zuckerberg, and he said in the thing that everyone pointed out was in, in Systrom's statement, he said. Uh, um, that they looked for, they look forward to, to working on creative projects again, mm-hmm. and, as if to say, like, right, this has become a this chore. This has become yeah. a chore, and I think, um, you know, Mike Isaac had a great piece afterwards, and um, and there's been some other stories since about about how they had different viewpoints as to who was responsible for the yeah. for the creativity of this whole thing and and the and the growth of it, um, and you know, there's a lot of egos in that room. I'll say that. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg certainly. Um, is entitled to do whatever he wants. Yeah, he, he owns the company. That that's what that's what um, that's what the money's for. You know. Well, and it's also clear that you know what what comes off the heels of this is uh, there's the story um, about Brian Acton, the WhatsApp mm-hmm. founder, who came after Facebook today this week and said, you know, that um, that he feels guilty about that he sold his company for bajillions of dollars and and they put ads against it and use all this data from people and and he thinks about it every day ironically he probably thinks about it from the top of his million dollar helicopter and billion dollar helicopter, whatever yeah, like you know right. it's no, just he, like, he didn't seem to have these uh, regrets uh yeah before he sold yeah or in the term sheets exactly were it's um it's the irony of of uh of people growing a conscious after they're billionaires right so yeah but do you think do you expect differences in the in the product moving forward? Yes. Um, what, what kind? Without question, I think I think that Facebook is in serious trouble, uh, and I think Twitter will be too. And I know it's I've, in serious trouble from an optics perspective, but, but from not from an a optics, financial but, one. But yeah, no, but from a financial one too. Because, I mean, YouTube um, uh, went through a massive um, kind of question questioning itself. Because they were losing money because of all the bad right. press they were getting around video. There was three instances where there were really bad things that were right. happening on They're the platform. They're a technology-enabled media company. They're well, worth, and right? advertisers, a media were, advertisers were like, you know what? I'm, I'm out. And yeah. when that happens, they do have they have more power than, than right. anyone. And but it's, it's got to be a collective ground. So I'm, 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 not, uh, I'm not arguing. I'm, I'm just wondering. I mean, Facebook prints money it prints money but if if its user numbers continue to go down mm-hmm. and it's and the amount of time people spend on the platform then right. then they don't get to justify the ad numbers that they have which right. is a problem that twitter's faced for 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 many 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 years and um and so the i think what mark zuckerberg is able to do one of the things that i think he does that's pretty genius is if you look at the charts of when um of, of each quarter since the company went public, since Facebook went public, everything goes up a, a few percentage points Incredible. every single quarter. And 
it doesn't go up too much and it doesn't go up too little. It goes up just the right amount. No, and that is that amazing. is a lever that they get to pull. And it's an intentional. Like I, I knew people that worked at Facebook many, many years ago where um, – uh, and they said, you know, if we wanted to add 100 million users next quarter, we could, but we're going to add – seven or 20 because then the following quarter we can add seven you know and so i think that now what's going on is if if facebook wanted to 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 pull in an extra few billion in revenue they could do it very quickly but now but they haven't they haven't gone to instagram in the way that they wanted to they haven't gone to whatsapp and i think now you're going to start to see that happen and and the people that worked there that sold these companies that were told that wouldn't happen don't don't like that too much well from a user's perspective what are what are simple things that people will see different uh, in Instagram or is it going to be such back-end stuff that we'll never know? No, you'll probably see more ads. You'll probably see um, new types of ads. You'll probably see more privacy-related things happening where, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's a there's a, been a big discussion this whole year about if Facebook, if Instagram listens to you while you're talking because you see ads about things you like. So let's, Sure seems like it does. So, well, it's what's so fascinating about that is, um, and I spoke to someone who worked at Facebook on the ads team and Instagram on the ads team, and they, they explained, and look, they could have been bullshitting me, but it makes total sense. It's still fucked up, but I, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll explain it. But So let's just say that you and I are talking about um, – uh, let's try it. You have your phone. Let's, let's, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's just say we're talking about a, a new umbrella. Let's just, let's call it the the Kelly umbrella. The Kelly umbrella. Okay. Right? Okay. It's not going to work on your phone, but let's just explain. It. Okay. So you're talking about the Kelly umbrella. It's this new hot umbrella that, that that you just read about or heard about or whatever, and you're like, I want to get this new Kelly umbrella, and I'm like, What is the new Kelly umbrella? And you explain it to me, and then I go and I and you and you just buy it, right? Uh-huh. Or you just bought it in, in a store, whatever it is. Um, and I go and I and I pull up my phone. And there's an ad for the Kelly umbrella. And I'm like, holy shit, they're listening to me. What it really is is that Facebook is aware in the same way that that Amazon has an algorithm that says, if you bought this book, you're going to like this one because right. all these other people did that. The algorithm is so smart and knows so much about you that it knows that you are going to want one of these Kelly umbrellas soon. And so therefore it delivers up an ad it just so happens that it happens around the same time that you hear about it word of mouth. So that's how it all works. At least that's what I've been told. Right. And so you'll start to see yeah. coincidence. So you'll start to see more of that. You'll start to see things that more ads that for things that you uh, you didn't think that that you wanted or you did think you wanted, and you just right. whatever. Um, Generationally, that that stuff actually. I remember being in at Bloomberg in the Bloomberg newsroom when um, before Facebook went public, and and I remember. Uh, working with a lot of older technology colleagues who were apoplectic about the, what was obviously going to be the, the sort of privacy climax with, with Zuckerberg. I mean, they, they, were, they were predicting how difficult it was going to get. And, and I remember thinking, I don't think millennials are going to care. And I don't think they did care until um, they saw how nefarious the use cases were. Well, I, I think that the, the biggest problem with Facebook and millennials is that um, – is and I've said this for a long time, and I still believe this is true, and I think it's going to be even more true in the coming couple of years. Is that in a game of of cat and mouse, um, uh, the algorithms are always going to win against us? Yeah, that's true. And eventually, we get to a point, which is the point I'm at, which is why I don't use much of the stuff anymore, except for work. Um, you get to a point where you realize the only way to win is not to play. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, my sister, who's a, 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 an avid Instagrammer, felt like 
it was just consuming most of her life and that that yeah, click that true. opened it up and she just said you know what the only way i'm not going to be able to do this is to delete it from my phone and i think that that's i think that the the uh, the people who run these companies, um, they think they're so smart and so clever because they can get you to click and come back and buy that Kelly umbrella. But I think that eventually it it um, it just – people are just going to be like, this is ridiculous. This is – you know, I don't want to do this. It doesn't make me feel good. Right. When, um, when CEOs in the past have left their companies in Silicon Valley – either before they wanted to, maybe not quite when they wanted to, or not with this sort of power structure they wanted to. Some obvious uh, uh, case in points come to mind. Jack Dorsey came right in. Travis Kalanick seems like he is uh, smarting for a, a multi-year fight to, to come back in. Steve Jobs, that's, a, of course, the, the, the cornerstone example of somebody who was just biding his time before he came back in. What's next for Kevin Systrom? I think he'll probably take some time off and... Do a little Scrooge McDucking, counting his money and, mm. and having fun and, and traveling and whatever billionaires do. Uh, what do you do as a billionaire, John? I mean, for fun, you know? I don't know. I, I wonder. I, I imagine that um, – I imagine – this is obviously pure speculation – that the minute you get to that kind of wealth – you're keeping up with the Joneses in a certain circle. Oh, where, absolutely. Where no it, question. It, a lot of the, what would be obvious joy in just like, you know – Buying cars or, or real estate or or, or planes, um, you enter a new peer group where I, there's actually this is sort of well detailed just from from my reportable understanding of this world in a scene in Billions where, um, where Bobby Axelrod is, is talking to someone who's kind of just fallen below the, the three comma club and and um, talks about you know the uh, the serious social peer pressure on. Like you know, donating to museums and hospitals, and and your you know the, the various charities you have to work with. Before you know it, you're buying Time Magazine. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> there's just the, it, it, I think it's I think it's a different world. And if you don't have your head on straight, um, it can be consuming and 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 probably a little less joyous than one might suppose. Although I, the, a lot of studies do suggest that rich people do have more fun than you and I, Nick. Well, but I think that they also I, no, you're you're completely right in that. I I remember. Um, Someone uh, very, very, very rich, uh, uh, Silicon Valley billionaire who had who told me this this story about, I mean, you can you, about that about you know that they had a plane and someone else got the bigger plane and it was and then they felt inferior and it's like really but at the same time it's the same thing that a lot of people feel in their everyday life and and there's also the famous stories of 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 Larry Ellison and all those folks that competed for the biggest boat yeah and, right and right. like you know whatever they're idiots um anyway back to what he'll end up doing I think that um look I think there's the famous saying in Silicon Valley that once you're lucky twice you're good mm-hmm very few, very few people are good. Um, yeah. Very, 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 very few people um, are good. Uh, and often you see, uh, instead of starting a new company or, or doing what Peter Thiel's done, which is really start multiple companies, um, people take their wealth and they start to invest it. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that that seems like a, you know, he'll, I'm sure he'll just be investing in his friends' opportunities and and yeah, that you invest in and and you know, twenty five thousand dollars there, hundred thousand dollars here, it's like nothing yeah, to them. Yeah, sure. And, um, and if you get a return on your investment like you do from Instagram or Facebook or Twitter yep. or Pinterest, it's a, it could be 
more billions. And uh, so I, I imagine he'll do more of that and some consulting, maybe get, get on some boards. And there's also Mikey, his, his co-founder, who's a really sweet guy. Um, who I think will probably you know do some of that stuff. Hopefully they'll they'll do a little philanthropy. We'll see. Uh, yeah, be nice. To, to be TBD. The Sistrum Hospital. The 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 Kevin Sistrum Hospital uh, next to the Benioff Hospital, but uh, next to the Zuckerberg Chan Hospital. Yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, as long as they have helicopter landing pads. Um, uh, but you know, t- time will tell. I I I think it's interesting that uh, none of them really seem satisfied. Uh, you yeah. know, there was the, the, what, the guy who sold Minecraft, um, and there was that, uh, for, for what, th- a few, couple of billion dollars. And there Something was that, like that yeah. there was that crazy story about how he bought the most expensive house in LA outbid, um, Jay-Z, right? uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce who I heard their mortgage is $200,000 a yeah, month. Yeah. I think Goldman Sachs across the street is, is financing their mortgage. Like they're at $200,000 a month. Such a baller level that they need an institutional investor to put forward that kind of change. It's insane. But um, anyway, he and he, you know, he had shared on social media um, uh, these pictures of his of his his hundred million dollar house with the infinity pool and the gym and the playroom and the candy room and the car room. I mean, literally. And he just was like, "You don't know who your friends are when you have this much money." And and. Fuck them. Who needs friends? Who needs friends when you have that? But it, but you know, but you meet these people and they're just not satisfied. They just cannot. And it's a well. They're also in their thirties. I mean, you know, it's not just their thirties though. But look at look at look at look at um Jeff Bezos. Yeah, one hundred sixty-eight billion dollars he's worth, and he still shows up to work every single day like it's the first day of work. Like that's that's not healthy. Yeah, you've written about this first day complex before. Is that basically shorthand for like? I, I'm treating every day like it's my last. Uh, well, I think it's. I honestly think it is a. It, it's a personality complex or a type mm. because Steve Jobs did it too. Steve Jobs was probably one of the first to do it. Every couple of days, he would wake up and he would look in the mirror and he would say that what that what what whatever I have done in the last couple of days has it been the best use of my time, of what I, the time I have on this earth. Right. Every couple, every two days, we do that. Sometimes every day, and and you can look at someone like that and think, "Oh, wow, I'm jealous, and I should do that with my time." But even just saying it out loud gives me an anxiety. Is this podcast really the best use of my time? Probably not. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone still listening, yeah, it's probably no, not the no, best I, use I, of I, your I time. Wonder. No, we're we're, not, we're we're all different. Yeah, uh, but, but 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 there's what's so fascinating is like. If I meant if anyone we work with or anyone you're friends with or any of your family members, if I told you they did that, you'd be like, "No way, they don't do that." Yeah. But but there's a consistency with all of these founders and tech folks that they do do that, and you could argue that's a good thing or a bad thing. To me, it's like maybe there's a probably a good balance somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there probably is. I, I imagine that. Um that Sister will do all the things that you, you talked about. Um, I, I wonder when we'll get to the point one day when there will be a, an exit where the founder says they're not going to start their hospital or, or travel the world or, or, or try and uh, uh, re-enter their company. <laughs> they're just going to say, you know what? 
I'm going to dedicate my life to being a normal person. I'm, I'm just going to not be a sort of psycho type A person. Think, I'm going to set an example that you can be normal. I think I think we've got a screenplay there. We could write a movie. We could sell to. Well, it's 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 Buffettian, right? I mean, there's um, I mean, Buffett obviously continues to to work, but. Um, but he does so in the most hypernormal environment ever. I mean, if, if, if Warren Buffett was in Silicon Valley, he, he would be cryogenically frozen already, and and those milkshakes would be made with soy lint, and and the, and the hamburgers would, would come from, you know, antelope meat from Mars. It would just be a, a totally <laughs> totally different set of circumstances. It's uh, there's the great moment that I heard about when uh, Buffett was at um, Sun Valley, and he was being interviewed on stage, and the guy interviewing him said. What's the number? What's the number, the amount of money that you would need every, you know, to be paid a year that you would be fine with? And Buffett said $100,000. I could, <laughs> I, could, I could get by on $100,000 and live a happy life. And then there was a, a beat and he said, but I do love that private jet. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, yeah. I'm going to go hop on my private jet back to L.A. John, it has been real Great seeing you, Nick. And uh, this is. Uh, let's just hope that uh, that Brett Kavanaugh doesn't make it through. Yeah, a weird couple of days. Weird couple of days. Thanks to my guest this week, Emily Jane Fox, and of course. No, thank you, Nick. Thank, oh, thank yeah, thanks, you, John. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton, Emily Jane Fox, John Kelly, and anyone else who appeared this week on our podcast. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a glowing five-star amazing review. John, what would the review be? Just that eight. it's great that this John Kelly guy is very funny, a natural talent, a, a right, true wit, but, but, but subscribe. But subscribe. Uh, thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. My editors are Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to Groa and RX Bar. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. We'll see you all next week where there may or may not be a new Supreme Court justice.